about churches. And he said, I hate those churches where you walk in and they make you stand up and sit down, stand up and sit down. And the thing is, I said to me, I can't stand them either. I've done it about four times already, haven't I, ladies? Can you stand up? Let's sit down. Can you stand up? I'm becoming the very thing I don't like anyway. Got off the phone with Del this morning and, and, and it's interesting. Del made this statement to me. And she said to me, I didn't realise how urgent it was where she's at with her life and her body and she's got some heart stuff to happen. But when she said that to me this morning, because I, 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 I have something on my heart that I want to share today, and, and um, when she said that, it was kind of a confirmation for me. I thought, yes, God, that's, that's, that's it right there. That's it right there. She had this thing going on. She's going through life, but there was some stuff going on behind the scenes, and she didn't know, she didn't realise how severe, how bad it was. She didn't realise the importance of this thing that was happening in her body with her heart and everything. You know, she had the tests and that and then just went on with life as normal. As a result of that, last night we're getting these calls going, you know what, she's not good. She wasn't doing anything different at all. Just going through life the same as what you normally do. The, you know, we all go through uh, life with routine and, and structure and we just do the things that we do. We wake up, we go to bed and in between that there's a whole bunch of things that we repeat. And we just keep repeating, repeating, repeating. Nothing wrong with them. It's part of life. Life has routine to it. I think in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, you know, tend the earth, look after it. That tells me that forever, the amount of time they were in there, they woke up in the morning and they went through the routine of life and they went to bed. They woke up and they had routine. They had structure to their day. It's good. It's normal. It's a part of life. I've just spent a week up at YWAM. Um, speaking uh, for four days on, a, on another school up there. Um, I took a photo of the group, actually, um, and uh, I'll show you the picture, just so you can get a, a little bit of an idea of uh, the, the, group, the, the group of people. When I, when I go away, uh, who, I'm, who I'm with... Uh, let me just quickly do something here. I went to send this across a while ago. What I'm going to do is just press send now and it's going to go to Luke and Luke's going to put this up on the screen because I thought it'd be nice for you guys to see. There you go, should be with you. I thought it'd be nice for you guys to get a bit of a visual because I go, I used to speak on a lot of YWAM training schools around the place and, and now it's something that pastoring again, I, I've got the opportunity to go to every now and then and spend some time with all these uh, people. We had about 50... Uh, uh, 60 international students, so people from all around the world. Um, I even had French people this time, and I rarely ever spoke on a school with French people. I felt sorry for the French guy. I don't think he understood a word I said all week. Just sat on the lounge and smiled and nodded in a French sort of way. Oh, wee oui, wee, oui, you know. But I don't think he understood anything. But you get that sometimes with these foreign students that come across. Have you got that picture there, mate? Okay, no worries. No, no, you take your time. Um, and so I had a week with these guys and I was speaking on evangelism with these guys, the E word, the word that doesn't exist in the Bible, by the way. The word evangelism is not in the Bible. It's a frightening word and we, 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 you know, we have different reactions to the word. Some of us clock off to it because I'm not an evangelist. You know? Others of us go, oh, I've been there, done that, evangelism. It means you know, shirt-fronting people in the middle of the street that you don't know and eyeballing them and telling them they're going to hell and uh, all kinds of ideas and connotations that we have with this thing called evangelism. But what I've learned over the years in my own journey with God is that the best way to reach out to the world around us 
is to learn to be led by the Spirit of God. Youth with a Mission, this school I was on, is a program. And quite often we look to programs to give us a bit of structure to do certain things. Um, you know, a lot of churches might, in the city in Brisbane, used to go out on a Friday night into the streets and they would take their young people out to do evangelism. And so they would go into the streets. And so from maybe, uh, you know, 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock on a Friday night, back when I did my training in the early 90s, there were about 44,000 Christians in the Queen Street Mall running around trying to evangelise everybody. There were more Christians than non-Christians. And you would, you'd go up to someone, you'd start talking, they'd go, right away, look, I'm here doing the same thing, okay, just leave me alone. And they'd walk off and find somebody else. And there were so many people out there doing it. But the question that always rotated around in my mind was this. It's wonderful that you do that for two hours during a program, but what do you do for the rest of your week? What do we do for the rest of our lives? So here's a a group of people. So just so when I say I'm away at a school, I'm not actually just sunning myself on a beach somewhere. I am actually working. And so I went into a classroom with with all these guys and uh, I have about 15 hours, 15 to 20 hours to stand in front of them and to teach them about evangelism and the kingdom of God and things like that. So so, and what, to make things a little more frightening too, I lost all of my notes. So on Monday afternoon, I was packing my bag to head up to speak Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. 20 years of teaching notes I keep in a folder, gone. And so I'm driving up there going, okay, Lord, I've got 15 to 20 hours standing in front of these guys and to talk, uh, and all of my notes are gone, so you better give me some good stuff while I'm away. Uh, anyway, we got through the week and we had a fantastic time But I challenged these guys with the same thing. I said, you can go to Youth with a Mission and do your 12-week lectures and training time. And they they, they sit in the classroom for 12 weeks and they do a week on hearing the voice of God, a week on the fear of the Lord, uh, a week on, you know, evangelism. Uh, And they'll have a whole bunch of other real foundational topics, forgiveness, grace, uh, to the Christian life. And um, they get 12 weeks of lectures. Then they go away for 10 10 weeks and they do an outreach. Some of them will be all around Australia. Uh, This particular... Group. Some of them are going to Japan and some of them are going to uh, the Middle East, I think, and all different places. And they all come back together at the end, two weeks for a, sort of a debrief and on with life. But I said to them, here's the thing. If you take what I've given you this week about reaching out to the world around us and you do it during the program, that's wonderful. But if you don't incorporate that as a part of your lifestyle, if it doesn't become a part of you, then you won't take this good news of Jesus any further than the program boundaries, than, than the boundaries of the, the, the program we've organised for you. You'll start doing it here, you'll stop doing it there. You'll get on with the rest of your life and you won't even give it a thought. You won't even give it a thought. I was reading what Paul, the apostle, said in the book of Romans and Paul makes a couple of statements that are really, really strong statements, really solid statements. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Paul says this. He says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. So the New Living Translation up here, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truth. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. Verse 2. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. In verse 3, for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. I would be prepared. Paul's saying, I'm so heavy and grieved in my heart for the state of my own people that I would be prepared to literally 
be cut off from God for eternity if it would guarantee the salvation, if it would guarantee that all these people would bow their knees to Jesus. That's, I read that and I thought, wow, that is incredible passion for the people around him that didn't know Jesus. I was challenged by that and I said to this group of people, why am I said, you know, if I'm honest with you, I said, that's not me. That is not me. I play sport with people that don't know Jesus. I work with people that don't know Jesus. I'm not talking in the context of here, but, you know. Um, but, I, you know, I do other things and sporting clubs and stuff. I, I shop with people that don't know Jesus. I live next door to people who don't know Jesus. And I look at this passion in Paul's heart that Paul's saying, you know what, it so grips me, the state of the people around me, that, that I would be prepared myself to be cut off from relationship with God. And I look at that and I go, that's a world that I don't understand. I don't feel that. I don't feel that. And then you go over the page to, to chapter 10 and verse 1 of Romans and he reiterates a similar thing. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. My heart's desire, my heart's desire is the salvation of these people. That's a big call. I mean, I know a lot of people and a lot of times with me, my heart's desire is to, to save up enough money to go out to dinner on a weekend. Or my heart's desire is that I wish, you know, I had another one of this or less of this. Or my heart's desire is that I wish I had a bit more stress, less stress in my life. Or my heart's desire, and we can desire all kinds of things. And Paul uses this strong word. He says, my heart's desire is this. He says, I, I desire that Israel would be saved. I desire that Ganelabar would come to know Jesus. Not only is it just a heart's desire, but he says it's also my prayer. I pray for these people. With passion and with desire, I pray, God, do something amongst my nation. Do something amongst my people. And I read Romans 9 and I read Romans 10 and I see the passion in the heart of this man. And I can easily dismiss it and go, well, he was Paul the Apostle. That was just Paul, you know. He was a bit, he was a bit like that. Pretty extreme sort of a guy. But I, you know what? I feel like the Holy Spirit says to me, no, Alan, you can't just dismiss it. You know, if you cut Paul's finger, he bled blood. Same as me. Did you know that Paul didn't naturally like, I'm sure, rejection? I'm sure it didn't feel good to him being chained up to a wall in a cell when he could have been out playing sport with his mates or he could have been painting pictures or dancing through the lily fields and Counting the daffodils. You know, he could have been doing a whole bunch of other things. But he said, none of my passion, my heart's desire. And I look at that and I go, is it really possible that someone can be that passionate? So passionate, in fact, that they would say, I'd, I'd be cut off. If it meant the salvation of these people, God, this is how passionate I am about it, Lord. I would trade places. I would trade places. That's what he's saying. I would trade places with them, Lord. Right now they are separated from you, don't know you, going to an eternity away from you. Lord, I would take their place if you would take them in. That's what he's saying. Is it possible to be that passionate? Surely it's not. Surely it's just language. But then I go to, to, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about his resume. And he goes, you know what? I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been stoned for my faith. I've been rejected. I've been imprisoned. I've had the lashes. And he goes through, he lists all these things that he's gone through. And he went through all those things. Why? Well, I think this is why. Because he had this passionate desire. People need to hear the good news of Jesus. Amen? People need to hear it. And Paul's going, you know what, this is my heart's design. This is my example to you. I went through all this stuff. You know, we don't want to confess Jesus in public because somebody might just look at us funny. It might just stop a conversation. 
Oh, they won't talk to me anymore. Man, this guy was getting flogged, beat, whipped. And people all around the world today are literally giving their lives for this message that they won't stop speaking. Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Now, there's a story in um, John chapter 4, and I, I love the story, and I always use it in, in, in my evangelism teaching on the school. It's about the woman at the well. It's got wonderful, wonderful stuff in this story. The, it starts by saying that Jesus was going from, um, I think it was from Judea up to Galilee. And it says he needed to go through Samaria. Now, the reality of the fact is, if you know your geography, he didn't need to go through Samaria at all. As a matter of fact, Jews didn't go into Samaria. They didn't get on. They didn't like them, the half-breeds. That's what they thought they were. So what they would do is Judea's down here, Galilee's up here, Samaria's in the middle. There's a river there. They would cross the river, go recross the river. But the Bible makes it very clear in John chapter 4 that Jesus needed to go to Samaria. And then we know how the story unfolds. He meets this woman at the well in the middle of the day. She's there in the middle of the day in the sun by herself. Why? Because she can't come in the cooler periods of the day with the rest of the people. Why? Because she's a bit of a lady of leisure, a lady of the night. Five husbands, and the guy you're with right now is still not your husband. People knew this. She was a bit loose, we would call her today. And so the townspeople rejected her, wanted nothing to do with her. So she wasn't going out there with the other ladies to get water. Wait till the middle of the day when no one's going to be there and go and get water. Jesus needed to be there because he just knew he needed to be there. Not practically, but spiritually, there was something inside him that said, I need to avail myself to this situation. I need to make myself available in the heat of the day at that well because there's a person that needs to know Jesus. And so we all know how the story unfolds. The woman comes and she stands there and she goes through this journey with him. Now, I love the story. One of the things I love the most about the story is this. It takes a bit of pressure away from this evangelism thing. Jesus never once in that whole story told her what to believe. He never told her what to believe. He took her on a journey. She started out with going, uh, you're a Jewish man. And then the next phraseology she uses is she calls him sir which is actually a respectful term when you look at the original Greek. He goes from being a Jewish man. In other words, you're a Jew, shouldn't be speaking to me. You're a man, shouldn't be speaking to me. We don't get on. He went from being a Jewish man to sir. Then he went from sir to being a prophet. I perceive you're a prophet as the conversation went on. Then he went from being a prophet to being the Messiah. There's this progression that goes along. Jesus at no point says to her, I'm this, I'm this. No, Jesus, Jesus talks to her. He, 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 he interacts with her and she goes on this journey. And that's the same for all of us. We've all got to go on our own journey of discovery of who Jesus is. And when we get to the end of it, we bow our knee. Nobody forces us to. We make the choice to follow him because of an unfolding revelation. And we get to that point and we go, no, that's, that's, that's your God. And that's what God is trying to do. See, God is trying to orchestrate things. While people are traveling from Judea up to Galilee, God is trying to orchestrate where we need to be in certain places. And by certain places, I mean we need to be in certain people's worlds. You have a sphere of influence around you that no other person on planet Earth has. You have a unique set of people in your world, unique to only you, nobody else. And you have a unique depth of relationship with those people around you that nobody else has. Only you've got it. Only you've got it. Could it be that you've, you're in that place because you know God needs to go into Samaria? He needs you to be there. He needs you to be there. Not to tell people what they should believe, but to be there and to engage and to see how that journey unfolds. When we don't shy away about who we are, our faith, we're honest and we're open about it. So this woman has this encounter with Jesus. In John chapter 4, I'll, I'll, I'll go there real quick. Something really, really interesting happens. 
Right at the start of the story, we've got this little interaction where Jesus pulls up and the Bible says that he sent his disciples into the city to go shopping. So his disciples run into the village to go shopping, which for all you men is a biblical evidence of the fact that Jesus didn't like shopping and we're made in his image and it's okay. Other parts of the Bible, when, when the boys were fishing, Jesus was on a boat. Jesus likes fishing. It's okay. We're made in his image. So the boys go into town and they're in town all day and they're doing their stuff. What are they doing? Well, they're going through the routine. They're just going through the routine. We had to go in and we had to shop. We've got to go and buy food. So they're in the village all day doing their routine. This woman comes out. She has this amazing encounter with Jesus, right? And watch what happens. After she has this encounter with Jesus, the Bible says that she runs back into town. She runs back into town and she says to all the townspeople, come out and see this man who told me everything about me. Powerful statement. You guys don't want nothing to do with me because you know who I am. A guy out there knows as much about me. Actually, he knows a few more things that you guys don't even know yet. He knows, but hey, he accepted me. He took me on board and he conversed with me. Come out and meet this guy. I think I've found the Messiah. She runs into town and she drags the people out. In verse 39, it says this. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. What have I got? Of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Verse 40, So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. Do you remember when you first got saved? I remember when I first got saved. I had a group of mates. And here's the thing. I knew nothing about nothing. I hadn't barely read a page of the Bible. I didn't know this thing called evangelism. I didn't know that I was joined up to the Father and now I'm on a mission with him. I knew none of that stuff. But in the first probably couple of weeks of getting saved, I dragged my entire friend group to church with me. Every one of them. Don't ask me how I got them in there. I do not know. I, didn't, I wasn't trained enough to know it was too hard to do that. I hadn't, I hadn't bought into the lie that it was impossible to get this group of people who had no interest in God to actually in, engage in a spiritual conversation. I didn't know that you couldn't do that. So I just did it. And we would talk about God. And I would get them to come along to church. And my, the, the youth pastor at the church at the time would sit down and would talk to these people. I'd finish at the end of a service on a Sunday night. I'd leave and they'd be sitting there. And they'd go, no, I just want to sit here for a bit. And I'm like, oh, church is over, I'm out. And my mates would be sitting there, just sitting there in the environment going, trying to work this thing out. See, I didn't know that you shouldn't do that. I didn't know that if I open up my mouth to my neighbour and my colleagues and mention the name of Jesus, they'll reject me. I didn't know that. I didn't know that if I, if I be a little bit bold about my faith, that I would be spurned and looked down upon. I didn't know that, you know? I didn't know that if I offered to pray for one of my friends, he'd say no. I didn't know any of that stuff, so I just did it. And guess what? Funny thing is, it didn't always work out that way. They'd let me pray for them. They'd listen to me talk about Jesus. They would be open to a spiritual conversation. Somehow, though, as the years have gone on, we get a little more sophisticated, a little more trained and a bit more educated. And we stop talking to people about God. We don't engage in spiritual conversation like we once did. The passion's not there. I met Jesus and I just couldn't handle the fact that my mates didn't have him. So I'm like, man, you guys have got to meet him. I'm so joyful right now. Something's happened inside my heart. You guys, of course you want this. Don't tell me you don't want this. You're lying. You don't even know that you don't. You don't know because I know because I'm here and you think you don't want it, but you don't know because you haven't had it yet. 
This was the simple attitude. And somehow, with that, that, that honesty, that transparency about my faith and my openness to the Holy Spirit, I'm amazed at what God was able to do through me in those early days. Somewhere along the lines, we lose that. We lose that simplistic faith of a child. You know what I think it is? I think partway along the line, we just get caught up in the routine of life. And we forget the excitement of being engaged in mission with the Holy Spirit. We forget the excitement of being engaged in something bigger than ourselves. Every single day, when you open up your eyes and you trust God and you step out in faith, you walk with God and you journey with God. After, when the disciples came back to Jesus, they didn't bring anyone out to see him. None of the disciples brought a single person out of that village. Yet look how ripe the harvest field was in that village. It was ripe. This woman of the night goes in there and preaches and brings them all out. And you're telling me that the disciples couldn't even find one person to engage in in spiritual conversation and bring them to Jesus? You know what it was? I just think they got caught up in the routine. We're not here for that. We're here to shop. At Bunnings, exactly. I'm not at Bunnings to listen to the Holy Spirit and be directed and possibly help alter somebody's eternal life. I'm not here for that. I'm here to buy a hammer. I'm not at McDonald's with my antenna up, potentially listening to God, possibly being used to redirect somebody for eternity. I'm not here for that. I'm here for cheeseburger. I'm not here to redirect anybody's life for eternity. I'm here to play touch football tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm not here for any purpose or sense of mission or anything of eternal value. I'm here. But maybe if, you, if, if the church will organise a program for us, maybe we'll come to the program. You know, maybe if we organise a Friday night 6 to 7 street evangelism, people might come and we'll talk about Jesus and I want to tell you what Jesus did. Here's what he did and, and he died on the cross and then he... Re- oh, 7 o'clock, sorry, finished. Come back next week 6, I'll finish the story. They got caught up in their routine. These guys that were walking with Jesus, that were part of his posse, went into town and didn't bring a single person out. Yet this woman, who just had an encounter with him, ran into town. And the Bible says because of her running in there, this dejected, this despised woman, because of her enthusiasm and her joy and whatever it was in her world that God had done that translated over into action, because of that, a whole village comes out to him. And the Bible story says he stays a few days and they all go, man... We, we, want to, we want to be saved. We want to follow Jesus. What an awesome story. But what a sad reflection on the disciples. I think it's a sad reflection on the disciples. This place is ripe harvest field and they didn't see it because they were just so busy going about the routine of life. We've got to, we've got to learn to realize that God uses us in the midst of the routine of life. God uses, you know, we've got people sitting in churches all around the world feeling dejected and, and now I just, you know, waiting for some kind of change before we can get involved in God. If only I could get out of this job and get, you know, maybe I could become a missionary and, and not have to worry about 
you know, cutting timber floors or whatever it is that we do. We think about all these other things, yet God's going, you know what, I've got you in a place right now with a unique set of skills, with a unique set of relationships, a unique environment at a unique time right now. And you know what, as you're going through the routine of life, put your antenna up, listen to me, because there's a lot of miracles out there that I want to do. There's a lot of things that I want to engage in, but I need you to take a step of faith, listen to me, step out in faith, risk rejection, risk being laughed at, risk being misrepresented, risk all that stuff, because you'll probably find eight, nine times out of ten, none of that's going to happen. What's going to happen is God's going to come in by his power behind your action and something unique and wonderful is going to happen. And people's lives get changed. And all of a sudden we go, wow, this is exciting. And God's going, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's actually really, really exciting to know that I've used you and to know that we've partnered in the bigger picture of mission and done something to help alter eternal generations and, and eternal directions for people. This is why we hear people. This is why the church exists. The church exists for missions. In Acts, Jesus said this. He said, right, I've had my time with you and I'm going. I want you to wait in this little thing called an upper room. I want you to go up there and to pray and I'm going to do something. I'm going to send power upon you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Why? So that when you go to prayer meetings, you can shake. Of course, that's what it's for, isn't it? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you can just gather together and go, oh, speak in tongues. No? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you guys can get together and just pray. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so you can be my witnesses. I'm going to give you the power of the Spirit for the primary reason that you would be witnesses unto me. The primary reason I'm giving you my spirit is not to feel good, not to shake, to rattle, to roll, none of that stuff. The primary reason I'm giving the spirit to you is so that you can engage the world in spiritual conversation. I can use you to take people from this spiritual perspective to this spiritual perspective. To move people from walking away from the cross and to start to move people to the cross. But you know what a lot of us do? We're too caught up in our routine. We don't have our antennas up. We're not listening to God. We just go through life and wait till maybe that, you know, maybe when I'm not tired or when I'm not working. Or not. And I understand that, you know, I used to work at Dan Murphy's and it used to be really, really hard. Because there'd be people coming in and instead of selling them a bottle of whiskey, I'd want to talk to them about God. Why do you want this bottle? You're back here at nine o'clock every morning. You walk in the door, you buy the same bottle. And I'm assuming you've drunk that whole bottle within 24 hours because you're back here. Let's talk about why do you want to keep drinking this stuff? What's the problem? What are you masking? I want to do that, but you know what? I can't do that because I'm a manager. But let me tell you something. God is with us. And so I would find creative ways. Okay, it looks to me like, you know, you've got a sore back, sir. Let me carry that bottle out to the car for you. And while I'm out in the car, I can talk a little bit and engage a little bit and throw a few things out there. There are ways that we can do this. When we're passionate about it and we realise the eternal significance of our message, how can we be quiet about it? How can we keep quiet about it? You see, God wants us to have that antenna up, step out in faith. What we want is we want the power of God first, then we'll follow it. God goes, no, it doesn't work like that. You put your feet in the water first, then the Jordan will part for you. But stick your feet in the water first as a sign of faith, and the waters will part. And you'll walk on dry land. We want dry land first. We want dry land first. (laughs) One of the guys on this school, I was challenging these guys on this DTS about, you know, put your antenna up. No matter what it is that you're doing, no matter where you are. So if you go downtown for a coffee with your friend, guess what? That's a wonderful thing. God loves coffee. God loves you having coffee with your friend. God's no problem with that. It's not that you can't have leisure time or do anything. But here's what I'm challenging you to do. When you go down there for a coffee, go down there and say, right, God, here's what I'm doing. I'm down here having a coffee. While I'm having a coffee and talk, I'm just going to pop that antenna up and go, God, I'm here. 
to do whatever it is that I'm doing in the routine of my life, if you've got a job to be done around here, I just want you to know I'm available. I just want you to want to know. You can, you can prompt me. Speak to me, lead me. But I mean, I'm here having coffee. It's my, my, it's my objective. But, Lord, there, there's a mission, a kingdom mission that overrides my natural mission right now, which is to just to go to the gym. I'm just going to go to the gym, Lord. I'm just going to go and work out and get fit. But, God, I just want to let you know. I'm just going to keep that antenna up the whole time. If you've got something you want me to say to somebody, something you want me to do, God, I just want you to know, hey, I'm available. In the book of Isaiah, when we see that, that discourse going on and, 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 and there's a conversation in heaven, you know, who will we send? Who will go for us? And that famous line, here am I, send me. God wasn't even talking to Isaiah. Read it. He's eavesdropping on a heavenly conversation. And we should all be eavesdropping on heavenly conversations all the time. God, what's going on right here, right now? Is there anything you want me to do? God, is there something where I can get involved in your bigger picture, your bigger plan? See, faith builds in us when we find ourselves working with God. It's amazing the faith that builds up in our hearts when we realise, wow, I just did that in connection with God. And so this one guy, he went to go out and he said, you know, I just had this feeling I should get on a train and go to Fernie Grove. He shared this story that the, second, the last morning I was there. He said, I felt, I've just had this feeling, I had an afternoon free, I'm walking down, then I felt like I should get on the train and go to Fernie Grove. And I said, well, that was definitely God because there's no other reason you'd go to Fernie Grove, there's nothing there. So he goes to Fernie Grove, and when he got there, it was confirmed. He said, yep, you're dead right. I got there, and there was nothing there. So I said, I jumped on the train, and I was going to come home. And while I was sitting at the platform waiting to come home, I needed to go to the toilet. So I went to go to the toilet at the platform. The doors were locked. And I realized, my train's coming. I'm going to... But he said, oh, I couldn't wait. So I ran downstairs, across the road, went to McDonald's, came back, missed my train, but sat down. But when I came back and sat down, there's a lady sitting down on the next bench seat up from me. And he said, I'm sitting there, and I'm just going, okay, God, what?" And he said, I felt like I should talk to her. And he said, well, maybe I should, but the train's due in one minute and 20 seconds. So he justified and said, sorry, God, a minute 20, not a lot of time. What's going to happen in that time anyway? Train pulls up, he jumps on the train, he goes, he sits down on the seat. He said, you wouldn't believe it. Woman gets on the train, goes and sits in a dead smack seat right opposite me. He's going, okay, maybe I should talk to her after all. So he opens up his mouth and he said, this is all I did. I just said to her, how are you going today? For the next 30 minutes... She begins to talk. He didn't even get a breath in. She starts talking about how her day is, how she's doing okay. Then she takes the conversation from I'm doing okay to I've got a daughter. My daughter's not doing okay. Then she says, geez, I really wish my daughter would go to a Christian school or something like that. Not that I'm into Christianity or nothing like that, but I just really like what they teach. I wish my daughter would go to this school. See, I'm Jewish and blah, blah. She goes, after about 30 minutes, she turns to this guy who said nothing and she looks and goes, oh, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? He went, well, and I taught them this. I said, never say yes if someone says you're a Christian. Ask them, what's a Christian first? Get them to explain it to you. Then you can agree or disagree. So, I, so, he, so he said, I did. I said, well, you tell me what a Christian is first, and I'll tell you if I'm one of those things. So then she begins to tell him what a Christian is. And he's able to go, well, actually, no, that's not actually what it is. And he begins to share with her about faith in Christ. This woman ends up in tears. He says, can I pray for you and for your daughter? She says, yep. This is all happening on a train for a 19-year-old foreign kid. On a train. Now, he just decided he was going to go for a walk one day. And decided, okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going through my routine of life, but I'm going to pop the antenna up. Next thing you know, he's on a train out of Fernie Grove. Next thing you know, he's on a train. He missed his stop at Mitchelton because he's in conversation. And he told me this. He said, I was panicking because he has one of those card things that you load money on. I don't know what they are, but you load money on them. And anyway, he had no money left on his card. But he thought, I'm in this conversation. I can't get off the train. I'm just going to have to trust God. So he goes all the way smack bang into the city, gets off the train and, you know, prays and she cries and she goes off. And then he's there going, well, God, what do I do now? I'm smack bang in the middle of the city. I have no money and nothing on my card. What do I do? And he just felt like, just go and tap the card on the thing anyway. 
where you, you pay for it. He says, I walked up, I tapped the card on the thing, comes up exactly as I said, zero credit, next thing flashed up on the thing, free ride. Turns around, jumps on the train, goes home. Train takes him halfway back to Mitchelton. He has to change onto another train. And he thinks, oh, praise God, you know, I've got halfway home. Maybe I'll, you know, try to work it away from here. And he goes, I'll just go and try that thing again. Walked over, he tapped his car in, zero credit, free ride. He got to train all the way back to Mitchelton, just like that. You can imagine how excited, how pumped he was while he's telling all of us in the class that story the next morning. Why? Because he was going through his routine of life, but he decided to put that antenna up. He decided to put that antenna up and listen to the Holy Spirit and to walk with God. You see, we have a mission. We're here. Let's achieve things in life. Let's be the best we can. Let's make, make successful businesses, successful marriages, raise our kids right. Let's have good, fun holidays. You know, let's do all the things of the world. Let's enjoy that stuff. But while we go about it, let's keep our antenna up and realize we are the answer. We are the answer to the world. This message that we have is real. This message that we have makes a difference. Jesus Christ saves people. Jesus Christ saves people. I want to finish and just leave you with a quote. Uh, I picked up a book recently that I haven't... I bought it about 20-something years ago. And it's a book by Bill Hybels, and it's called Just Walk Across the Room. Anyone ever read that book? It's a great book. And for whatever reason, I picked it up uh, recently, and I was flicking through it, and I came across this quote. And I want to finish with this quote, because I think it's so powerful. He says this. He says, Live as though you actually believe that your parent co-worker and neighbour would be better off if they knew your father in heaven. Live as though you actually believe that your parent, co-worker and neighbour would be better off if they knew your father in heaven. If you go to work tomorrow, be at work as if you actually believe that if these guys around me knew God they'd be better off. Their lives would be better. Their marriages would be stronger. They'd be better parents. They'd be better employees. They'd be better employers. If we went into the, the everyday routines of life and had that picture of the people around us, you know, all these, you know these people working out here, if I actually went out and believed that these people would be better off if they came to know my Father in heaven, how different would my life be? How different would I handle the words I speak, the things I do? How much more boldness would I have if I realised, no, 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 it doesn't matter how you react, what I've got for you is the best possible thing that any human being could offer you today. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Amen. Father, I want to thank you again for uh, today, Lord. I want to thank you for, uh, Lord, our time together. God, I pray as we go from here, Father, that, uh, Lord, we would catch something of your passion for the lost. God, we would catch something of, uh, Lord, your zeal, that those around you would know who you are. Father, let us catch that. God, we can't, we, you can't preach that stuff. You can't teach that stuff. God, it has to be by a revelation from heaven. And Father, I pray for each of us here that that revelation would be real to us, that something would drop inside of us. That God, as we go through the routines of life, God, we wouldn't be like those disciples, missing opportunity after opportunity, not seeing how, how white for harvest the world is around us right now. God, I pray we would not listen to the rubbish on the news. God, we wouldn't listen to the rubbish on the radio. Things that try to tell us people aren't interested in God anymore. There's no room for spiritual conversation in the 21st century. God, I pray that we would listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit. And I believe you're saying to us, Father, lift up your eyes for the fields are ripe for harvest. Who can I send? Who will go for us? God, I pray in the next seven days that each of us here would have an opportunity
to share the good news of Jesus with someone who does not know you right now. And Father, we ask this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go out there into the world and live as if you actually believed that the people around you would be better off if they knew the God that you know.